James chapter 1, if you've got your Bibles. James chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you don't own a Bible, there should be one in, in the seat in front of you or close to you. If you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you. You're welcome to take that and uh, use that. If you've got a pen or a highlighter, you may want to have that out and ready. I think there's a couple remarkable verses today as we're studying through the book of James. God, thank you. Thank you and praise you because you are a mighty God. Jesus, there is none like you. You are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Lord. You have washed us and purified us in that blood that we stand before a just God, holy, completely justified, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together on Sunday morning, Lord, in freedom. Thank you that we can come and worship you, God. I thank you for every heart that's here today, Lord. Whether they know you or not, whether they, they've, they've just drugged their bodies in here almost against their will or not, Lord, if they're on the mountaintop experience, Lord, I pray that you would meet us all where we're at today and draw us to you. Draw us closer to you. Help us to see just how much you love us, God. And help us, help us to rightly respond to that love. To rightly respond to the invitation that you've given us through your Son, Jesus. Help me to rightly divide your word, God, that I would not lead anyone astray to the right or left, Lord. May all that I say point toward what you want us to hear today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the year is 1990. 1989, 1990. Just out of high school. Graduated in 89, my family, I graduated in upstate New York, and my family and I moved from upstate New York to Columbus, Ohio, because I had been accepted at Ohio State, and um, it was headed into the School of Music to um, get a degree in audio recording. Took an interest in audio recording. I was in a band. We were doing pretty well and wanted to start producing our own albums and do different things, and so I said this would be a good way for me to go, and so we moved out here. And I went down to audition into the School of Music. You have to audition to get in, and I was going to audition in voice because I had grown up in choirs my whole life. I actually had a partial scholarship to the university. And as I went down for my audition before classes began, my pianist said, hey, what program are you going into? And I said, I'm going to take the audio recording degree. And he said, oh, we dropped that program a year ago. So I stood there and I said, you know what, my whole family moved out here. We uh, were living, there were nine of us living in a two-bedroom house at the time. Big decision, big step of faith for my whole family. And they, could, they, they knew what program I was going to go into. I said, give me my music back. And I walked out of Ohio State. But so the next year, 1990, found this little school down in Chillicothe. Of all places, Chillicothe, Ohio. There's not a whole lot happening in Chillicothe, Ohio. But there's a school called the Recording Workshop. And what I learned there in five weeks would have taken me five years at Ohio State. What I learned was I didn't want to be an audio engineer. <laughs> I gained a whole bunch of knowledge. And, you know, I've helped run sound here. I've, you know, we, I helped set up the sound system here when we, when we moved into this building. And... You know, I've taken the knowledge that I learned in those school in the school, but I knew I didn't want to do it professionally. But ever since then, I've been kind of an audiophile. I have I have a hatred for static. We have um, the the station ninety nine point three um, Air One, and uh, love listening to it down here. But you get up close to my house. I live up in Westerville, and and about three miles from my house, the, it starts to go out. And, and sometimes you get it, and some, it depends on the weather, and if you hold your arm just right, and you know, it just, you, you kind of pick up the station, but it's staticky. Can't stand it. I have to change the station. Love it, but I have to change it to something else. Digital. We, we've, we haven't had cable in our house for years and years and years. We've got the digital antenna, 
And you know, if, if it's a cloudy day, then channel 34 won't come in right until, you know, everybody put your hands up and it's funny, it works, you know, everybody, we're all sitting in the living room like this because nobody wants to get up and move the antenna, you know, but, and it comes in. But uh, digital static, hate static. What is the world here from you and I? What, what kind of, what's our broadcast like? What, what's coming out of the speaker, the microphone of our lives? Is it crystal clear? Is it high fidelity? Is it something that's pure? Or is it full of static because we've made compromise in our life because we're, we're not truly following God the way that we're supposed to? What kind of message are we sending and how clear is it? James, the book of James, is so good for the Christian because it rids our lives of static. It helps us to produce a high fidelity sound. The, 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 you remember that on the records back in the day? Before a lot of you kids' time, have you, you know, <laughs> let me explain what a cassette is, right? But uh, they would say high fidelity. What does that mean? What does the word high fidelity mean? Well, the higher the fidelity, it means it's the higher, uh, or the more accurate a, 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 a recording of the actual event, an, a, an accurate representation of the original. The greater the, the fidelity, the more close it is to the original. And that's what we want our lives to be. The great, we want them to be hi-fi for Jesus. And like I said, James helps us to do that. As we've been going through chapter 1, we learned right off the bat, how do we handle trials? And the way a Christian handles a trial is different than the way the rest of the world handles a trial. Most of the world tries to quickly get through a trial, get around a trial, try to avoid the trial, just try to get to the other side of it, where the Christian actually embraces a trial, a difficulty, as an opportunity, a pathway to maturity in Christ. Last week we looked at how to handle temptation. Very different than the way we handle trials. Temptations we don't embrace. We try to stay away from them. We try to avoid them as best as possible. This week, as we get almost to the end of chapter 1, we'll spend one more week in chapter 1, we're going to learn about talking and hearing and the importance of having high fidelity in both of those things. A lot, of, a lot of people have made a lot of money off of good headphones these days. Everybody's after the Beats or after the latest. Well, I don't even know what the latest is anymore. Is it still Beats, Nathan? Yeah? All right. He, he would know. You know he's, he appreciates good music, too. Everybody, you, know, you, spend, you can drop 200 bucks because it's going to sound good in your ears. What are we hearing? What are we, what are we speaking so we're picking it up in verse 19, James chapter 1, verse 19. It says, So then, my beloved brethren, and I want to pause there for just a second because I want us to see who he's addressing. I don't know where your heart's at in this room. I don't know if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not going to assume that all of you do. This letter is written to my beloved brethren, James, a follower of Jesus Christ. This is advice for those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And if you haven't yet done that, first I want to say today's the day of salvation. Today's the day you can make that step of faith. And I pray that you would. But I, I want to address you just real briefly, if you haven't yet made that step of faith, to say what you're going to hear today is not a way for you to earn favor with God. This is... We, we don't earn favor with God. If I'm just good enough, if, I'm just, if I've just lived well enough, then God's going to you know, give me a lollipop and let me come into heaven or something like that. That's not the way it works. It's through the, the price that Jesus paid on the cross that we are completely forgiven of all of our sins when we embrace Him as our Savior. And then what the book of James is, is, hey Christian, you who have placed your faith in Jesus, live this way so that the message you're broadcasting can be clear. So he's addressing my beloved, beloved brethren. Verse 19, Let every man, man being all of us, let every man be swift to hear, 
slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. This is a great parent verse. You got kids in your house? Put this on your mantle. Just point to it. Boy, swift to hear, slow to speak. Amen. <laughs> My kids need this. My kids have heard this. But so do we. He's our heavenly father. He's our, he's, a, he's our parent. We're kids too. We need to hear this. We are to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. The modern day proverb, I love this. A closed mouth gathers no foot. <laughs> a closed mouth gathers no foot. You, you, have you placed your foot in your mouth? Oh, I've done it a time or two. Oh, yeah. All right, we could take the rest of the day. The old proverb, Proverbs 17, 27, he who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of calm spirit. Or verse 28, the next verse, Proverbs 17, even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he's considered perceptive. How about that? Mark Twain, depends on where you read it on the internet, Mark Twain or Abraham Lincoln said it this way, it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> Swift to hear, slow to speak. Solomon, of course, has something to say when it comes to the, to the many words he says in Proverbs ten nineteen. in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. We need to be quick to hear. And you know what? I think it's almost better translated quick to listen. Because hearing and listening is different. Hearing, guys, is what we do on a Sunday afternoon while we're watching the football game and our wife is saying something to us. <laughs> Honey, would you like a sandwich? Yes, dear. Honey, is it okay if I take the kids and go shopping? Yes, dear. Honey, I spent $1,000 at Macy's today. Is that okay? Yeah, yes, dear. <laughs> Honey, does this dress make me look fat? Yes, dear. You know, that's hearing. Open mouth, insert foot. Right? That's not what we want to be doing. We want to be actively engaged in our listening. We want to be paying attention to who is speaking to us. And, and I think a lot of us today listen thinking about how we're going to respond. We need to set that aside. We're not listening in order to respond. We're listening in order to understand. With me? We need to set aside that we're listening just to, because we we got something good to say. We need to set that aside. It's okay to respond, but don't be just listening in order to work up your response. We need to listen to understand. We need to be slow to speak. That doesn't mean that we don't speak often or we don't speak at all. I've been accused in my household that I am slow to speak at times, and that's true. I take five minutes to decide what kind of sandwich I want. You know, <laughs> do I want ham? Do I want turkey? I know it's going to have bacon on it either way. <laughs> I take a while to think about that. I am slow to... Michelle's like, come on, it's a sandwich. <laughs> that's not what I mean necessarily, or I don't think that's what James means when he's, we are to be slow to speak. He means our words are to be measured. We, we need to... Put a filter in between our brain and our mouth. Let it, let it process there for a moment. You think about signal flow as you're talking about being an audiophile. You know, the, the microphone is basically an ear. Your, your microphone hears, your speaker speaks, 
And in between the microphone and the speaker, the, the, what, the, what the ear hears is processed. Be it through sound, you know, sound effects, we put in reverb, we put in delay, we put in graphic equalization. It's processed. It's then sent to an amplifier, and that's when it comes out the speaker. But it, it, it takes a moment to be processed. I, I'll never forget, I was involved in the video club my senior year in high school, and we went to, because I was in upstate New York, we went to Bristol, Connecticut. We got to visit ESPN. That was awesome. Mm. Oh. But... At the time we went, um, the uh, World Cup, or not the World Cup, I'm sorry, the, what's the race, the, the uh, sailboat race? America's Cup, yeah, was in Australia, and it was going on, ESPN was broadcasting it. So they were showing us the signal flow of the time, at the time. They, you know, had a cameraman there taping the race, it went from there, uh, you know, to their truck, from their truck up to a satellite, back down to Bristol, Connecticut, where they filtered it and processed it, back up to another satellite that distributed it to the cable companies, from the cable companies you know, in your various cities to your television. It was a 95,000-mile journey made in one-fifth of a second. One-fifth of a second. Just amazing. Perhaps the filter between our brain and our mouth needs to be a little bit longer than that. <laughs> We need to think about what we're saying. Slow to speak. Are the words that are going to come out of my mouth, are they edifying? Are they going to build somebody up? Are they going to tear somebody down? And then the last of the three, we are to be slow to wrath. I've struggled with anger in my life. I know some of you have as well. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to temper that, temper. Anger is of little value. It accomplishes nothing. If we struggle with that, go to the Lord. Lord, take this from me. He will, over time. Quick to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to wrath. And we need to implement this verse on both the vertical and the horizontal in our lives. As we went through Romans chapter 12, we talked about how love is manifested, that we both worship our God vertically and we, worship, we love our neighbors as ourselves. We, we love vertically, we love horizontally. The same as idea, we need to, idea here, we need to implement being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to wrath vertically and horizontally. We need to be quick to listen to God. He's the Lord. He's he's the king. He's the master. He's the sovereign one. He rules over us all. There's nothing outside of his grasp. There's nothing that he misses. He does not give us requests. He gives us commands. And we need to listen. Quick to listen to the Lord our God. We need to be slow to speak. It's not that God doesn't want to hear our voice, but we need to take prayer in our lives very seriously. Far too many of us don't pray near enough. Prayer is not to be taken lightly. We are treading on holy ground. We need to weigh the words in which we are taking to our God. I grew up in the Methodist church. My mom and dad took us to church every Sunday, faithfully served there, enjoyed it, but one of the things that we did every week was we quoted the, the um, no, not the creed, the, the prayer, the, uh, our Father, the, yeah. the, Lord's, the Lord's Prayer. Thank you. I don't know why that slipped my mind. Sorry. Twelve hours of recitals yesterday might have had something to do with it. <clears throat> the Lord's Prayer, we would quote it every week. Frankly, it never meant anything to me. Just because, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy... It was a chant. It, was, it wasn't an, a, a heartfelt prayer in any way. For some, it may have been, but it certainly wasn't for me. My words were not weighed in speaking to my God in those days. We had a prayer meeting this morning. We have a prayer meeting every Sunday morning at 9.30. Anybody wants to join us is welcome to. 
The people that prayed this morning, their words were weighed. I was in tears. It was beautiful. As we talk to God, we're not just throwing up a laundry list. We need to weigh our words. And when it comes to God, you and I need to be slow to wrath as well. All of us at one point in our lives have been angry at God. Let's quit dancing around that. We've been upset because of the way we thought we could have handled something better than the way God handled it. We need to be slow in moving toward wrath, especially when it comes in our relationship with God. We know the truth of Romans 8.28, but we need to implement it into our lives. 8.28 says, and we know that all things... How many things are all things? All. Yeah, all. How many things? Yeah, all things are all things. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Going back to the beginning of the book of James, God lets us walk through trials Mm -hmm. to help us mature and to help us see that we have a need for Him. Mm -hmm. It's a blessing that we get to walk through trials. Not that we're dancing over those things, but hey, a hard time helps me see my need for my Savior. Thank you, Lord. Why would I want to move toward wrath in that? Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath in our relationship with God, but also in our relationship with our neighbors, with our family, with our loved ones, with our coworkers, with all that God has placed in our lives, the, the circle around us, we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. We need to listen to understand, as I said, not just listening to respond. God intentionally gave us two ears and one mouth. (laughs) Quick to listen, slow to speak. Consider the perspective on your face. (laughs) And then we need to be slow to wrath with one another as well. We need to be quick to forgive our brother and sister. We need to be quick to walk in grace with those around us because God's been good to us and graceful to us. Flip over to Matthew chapter 18. Let's look at something real quick. I think it'll help us give, get some perspective. Matthew chapter 18. Peter, in all his foot-and-mouth wisdom, <laughs> Peter often put his foot in his mouth, thought he knew what was going on. And I use this in marriage counseling, so some of you have heard this before. But he's like, it was the custom in the day that you would forgive somebody three times. If they sinned against you with the same sin three times, you would forgive them. That was going like above and beyond. That was holy to forgive somebody three times. So Peter comes to Jesus and he says, hey Jesus, how many times shall I forgive my brother? Seven times? Look at what Peter's doing. He's like, I know the standard's three. I'm going double plus one, right? He's like, check me out, Jesus. I, got, I know what's going on. So seven times should I forgive my brother? What does Jesus reply? No, 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 no. Seventy times seven. Seventy times. And Peter's just like, oh, pick up my jaw off the floor kind of moment. So 490 times if you do the math. So does that mean we get our paper and pencil out? All right. All right, she's up to 483. Seven more times. And then about 488, you start warning them. You got two times left. 490, out the door. That's not what it means. The idea is it's infinite. You don't do the math, you just forgive. Why? Because Jesus has forgiven us. Perspective. Look at verse 23, Matthew 18. He says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain man who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. How much is that? That's a load of cash. That's a talent with 70 pounds. That's, a, that's, a, that's an in, uh, that's a, uh, uh, big debt. 
But he was, as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me. I will pay you all. And then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's a, a denarii was a day's wages. So a, a debt of, of significant value, but not insurmountable, about a third of a year's wages. And he laid his hands on him and he took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servants fell down, fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me. I'll pay you all. And he would not. But he went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw that he had all that he what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he called him, said to him, "You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you?" And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father will also do to you. If each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. You and I come to the God of the universe, the one who created all things, with an insurmountable debt. One sin breaks fellowship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. Chances are all of us in this room committed at least one sin today. We have a debt that we simply cannot work off. We cannot pay. But our Master had compassion on us. And He sent Jesus, His Son, to pay a debt that you and I could not pay. Through His perfect blood, he made atonement for our sin. That when we place our faith in Him, all is forgiven. And He exchanges our wretchedness for His righteousness. It's a beautiful exchange. In light of that, in light of being forgiven of all of our sin, what does your brother have against you that you can't forgive? It's the perspective of Matthew 18 that helps us to live out being slow to wrath when it comes to our neighbors. It's us keeping in mind that I've been forgiven a debt that, that I could never repay myself, so why can't I certainly forgive my brother, my sister, for what they've done to me? Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath in the vertical and in the horizontal. Continuing on back in James chapter 1, verse 20. Why should we be slow to wrath? I'm glad you asked. Verse 20. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Why be slow to wrath? It's of no value in the king's kingdom. We want our lives to be high fi Wrath is static. Us getting upset and angry at our brother and sister and not forgiving them the way that we have been forgiven creates interference in our message. Creates distortion. Righteousness is produced when we abide in Him. That's what we learned back when we were teaching the Gospel of John. John chapter 15. He is the good he is the vine dresser. He is the vine. We are the branches. It's in abiding in Him that the fruit of righteousness is produced. It's us living in Him and living in His ways. The wrath of man, us getting angry, does nothing to produce that righteousness. It's abiding in Him that righteousness is produced. So, verse 21, it says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Great language here and receive with meekness the implanted Word, which is able to save your souls. So our right response, as we are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, our right response is to lay aside all filthiness. It's time to 
Stop living with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. It's time for us to stop dancing on that fence and to live wholeheartedly for Him. We are to lay aside. We are to not conform to the pattern of this world. We are Christian. We are, we are peculiar people. We are to be peculiar people. Not conform to the pattern of this world. The language in 21 denotes that there's action on our part. Christianity is not a spectator sport. And sadly, in America, in the culture that you and I live in, for many churches and many people that go to church, that's all it is. We are raised in a consumer mindset. From the time that you can start watching TV, everything is about catering to you and your needs. I got to have that because it's what I need. And we take that mentality of consumerism into the church. And this church is like, you know, it says, oh, this one doesn't exactly fit my needs. They have this program, but they don't have this program. I'll change the channel and find what I'm looking for. We need to rid ourselves of consumer Christianity. And we need to live wholeheartedly for Him. Laying aside... Sorry, that was a rant. Sorry. Soapbox, soapbox there. We need to lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. It does denote action on our part. Christianity is not a spectator sport. We were talking about temptation last week. I gave you three keys to avoiding temptation. The third of which, pretty simple, run! <laughs> you want to avoid temptation? Run. Same thing here. Verse 21. Lay aside all filthiness. Run away from it. If the internet causes you trouble in your house, get rid of it. Why? Yeah, you can do that. I need it. Then set up a filter. Oh, I can get around the filter. Set up a password that only your wife knows. So you have to ask her to get on the internet. Whatever the struggle is, do whatever's necessary to lay it aside. Alcohol is an issue. You don't drop off at the bar after work. Run from temptation. Receive with meekness, it says there in the second half of the verse. We're to take the gift of the implanted Word. It's not just us sitting here on a Sunday morning. We're to take the gift of the implanted Word with meekness. I love that word. Everybody, I did for years, I associated meekness with weakness. thought they were the same thing. It's just a different way. You turn the W upside down. You know? No, they're very, very different. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power. Under control. It's power under control. It's when we are guided and gifted by the Holy Spirit, we receive power to be His witnesses. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That's meekness. It's us walking in a humility, recognizing that we have power, but it's under control. We are to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save. Your souls. Now, this is not talking about salvation in specific. How do we know? Because he addressed, began the address as my beloved brethren. He's already speaking to Christians. So what does he mean when it says you're able to save your souls? I think probably better it would be it's able to save your lives. Sin causes death. Sometimes literally. You drink too much, you get behind the wheel of the car. You, you, you swerve over the yellow line, you might die. Sin, you drank too much, causes death. You sleep around, you get an STD, get AIDS, could kill you. Sin causes death. Ultimately, sin always causes death. The wages of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life, right? So, let us, Christian, lay aside filthiness. Let us lay aside the overflow of wickedness. 
We read back in verse 15 of this chapter, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Sin causes death. But it's so much fun. There is some pleasure in sin. I'm not going to lie to you about that. But it's fleeting. And it'll always leave you wanting more. What we seek when we, desire, when we commit sin is that satisfaction, that pleasure that comes from it. But it, that pleasure is fleeting and needs to be replaced. It is when we go to the well, like the woman at the well, when we go and He gives us water that we would never thirst again. He gives us satisfaction that never needs to be replaced. He gives us that purity of life, that joy. James MacDonald, when it talks about when we talk about God telling us not to sin, whenever we hear God say don't, what He is saying is don't hurt yourself. A loving Father cares so greatly for you that when He tells you not to go down that path, when He tells you to give up that sin, He's not telling you don't just for the sake of telling you don't. He's telling you don't hurt yourself because that's what sin will ultimately do to you. Sin isn't bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. We, we need to get that in. Yeah, it's, it's satisfactory for a moment. But as I talked about last week, and just like the sin of pornography, the, the last meal, the last sin, the last time you looked isn't going to satisfy you this time. It's a downward spiral. Spiral. It's the law of diminishing returns. You're going to need more and more of alcohol. You're going to need more and more of that drug. You're going to need more and more of that sexual temptation in order to get the same high. It's going to leave you wanting. So run from it. Seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6 tells us, and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What are all these things? You have to read the rest of chapter 6 to fully understand it. But what he's talking about are those pleasures, those things that you're looking for in life. All your needs will be met. He will take care of you if you seek Him first. You'll find your satisfaction in Him. The, 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 the longing in your heart, that whole in your heart cannot be filled with something material. It's a spiritual hole that He's put there. It's the imprint of the hand of God. And the only thing that will satisfy that is His hand in your heart and in your life. Father does know best, as they used to say. <laughs> Verse 22. I'm not going to finish early. Sorry. I lied. Forgive me. 22. Love this verse. Put a star by this one. Highlight it. Underline it. Tattoo it on your arm. Memorize it. Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Don't stop at hearing, church. If I could get, if I could shake each one of you, this is what I would say. If I could get in your face, this is what I'd say. Don't stop at hearing. Do it. The learning is for living. You and I gather on a Sunday morning, not just to satisfy us for a moment, but to implement what we learn into our daily lives. Either we worship Him seven days a week, or we don't worship Him at all. We can't just sit here on a Sunday and check that off for the week and put the Christianity box away. <laughs> so many people have done that for so many years of their lives. Never bringing Christ into their Monday morning or their Friday night. The learning is for living as we cruise down the highway of life, God throws out speed bumps once in a while. 
They're called kairos moments. Those moments where you, you're, you're suddenly aware that maybe God is trying to shape your life or tell you something. It's, it's a, you're, we're cruising at 65 and he throws out a speed bump. What do you do with that speed bump? What was that? You keep going? Or do you stop? And you take that nugget of truth, whatever that, whatever that impression was in your heart, and you consider it for a moment. Loop around that for a second. Say, all right, let me think about this. What is God trying to say to me? Is there something I need to change in my life? Is there a sin I need to repent of? Remember, repentance is more than just stopping what you're doing. Repentance is stopping what you're doing, stopping heading the direction that you're heading, and starting to head back toward God. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more than just hearing. It's doing. It's making a, a decision, a plan, an action to get back to the right thing. Yes. Repentance is not only stopping, it's walking in the other direction that paying attention to that kairos moment is both hearing and doing luke 6:46 jesus says why do you call me lord lord and not do the things i say how often do we have that in our lives oh i love jesus but i'll cuss up a storm on my facebook page <laughs> Why do we call Him Lord, Lord? Many will call Him Lord, Lord on that day. Jesus said, I didn't know you. Mm-hmm. Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Repentance is not only stopping, it's walking in the other direction. Why don't we change? Why don't we? We hear a good Sunday message. I hope you would consider it a good message. We hear a good message on Sunday morning, and we go, oh, yeah, it's, oh, notes, notes, notes. I got, and then you never look at them, you never read them. We walk away from Sunday, we go to lunch, and by the time lunch is over, we can't even remember what the pastor said. Why do we never change? Why don't we implement what we, what we hear when we study the Word of God, when we do our devotions, when we're spending time in prayer with a brother or sister? One, Two reasons. One, we rationalize sin. It's not that bad. I got it under control. I, I can quit when I want to. Just don't want to. We rationalize sin. Mine's my, you know, I'm only doing I'm only looking at the stuff. I'm not actually committing the act. We rationalize the sin. Just sorry, one more side note. I don't know why it's on my heart today. Pornography is adultery if you're married. Your wife can divorce you because you look at porn. We rationalize the sin. Why don't we change? We procrastinate. Ah, do it tomorrow. I'll do it another day. Ah, tomorrow's not promised. The The enemy's greatest two lies. Just one more time. Just do it one more time. And tomorrow... The enemy's greatest lies. Just do it tomorrow. Enjoy today. I'll start my diet tomorrow. <laughs> the language of the Bible is always today. If you're convicted over something in your heart right now, right now you make a decision. I'm not going down that road again. Luke 6:49. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built his house on the earth with a foundation, without a foundation, against which the stream, the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell. The storm beat vehemently, and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Do not just be hearers of the word only. Be doers. Put into action those speed bumps in your life. And then James gives us an example of what hearing and not doing looks like. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face, no makeup, in a mirror. For 
He observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. One who hears on Sunday and doesn't do anything with their lives in what they hear is like the guy who gets up Stumbles into the bathroom, one eye open, <laughs> looks at the mirror. Oh, you're ugly, boy. <laughs> Goes downstairs, gets involved with something, burns the toast, has a, never makes it back up to the bath- bathroom to comb his hair, to brush his teeth, to shave, to jump in the shower. Forgotten what he looks like and ends up going to work that day. Stinky breath, hair, shave. He he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Forgot that he had just said, boy, you ugly. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, when we allow the Spirit to convict us, Christian, we're not a forgetful hearer, but a doer. Mm -hmm. And the one, what we do will be blessed. That's what we want, right? Mm-hmm. The Christ follower, we want to be blessed by Him. Blessed means happy. Mm-hmm. And we want, to, we want that satisfaction. We want that peace in our lives. We want to know that we're living and we're striving to, to serve Him and to please Him. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Psalm 1, very famous psalm, Blessed is the man who, does, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And he meditates on it day and night. He's looking into the mirror continually. He's chewing on the Word of God. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season. We want to do that. We want to bring forth fruit to the glory of our God in the proper season. And we want our leaf, it says, whose leaf shall not wither. And then the end of verse 3 of Psalm 1, whatever he does shall prosper. That's what we want in our lives. We want what we do, what we invest ourselves in to prosper. Not for our glory. We're, we're burned up and we're fueling His fire. We're wrung out for Him. As I was, um, I told you I was doing the security for the Leap of Faith dance recitals. I was, uh, was praying before the recitals started, I think on Friday morning. I just felt impressed to send out a prayer to um the leadership of Leap of Faith. And, and I prayed, uh, typed out the prayer, and uh, at the end of it, I said, I pray that on Sunday night, when we are all completely wrung out, and those that serve, it's crazy what happens at a dance recital. You'd never... But I was, I was I don't know, I probably took 22,000 steps yesterday, you know? Come tonight all of us are going to be completely exhausted. And my prayer is that when we get to that moment, when we've been completely wrung out, that our heart will say, He's worth it. Mm-hmm. Because He is. He's worth everything that we could give Him and more. He is worth every ounce of energy. He's worth every penny that we have. He is worth every moment of time that we have. It is worth following after our King. It is worth wringing ourselves out for His glory. Eli taught Samuel back in the Old Testament. As Samuel was a young boy serving in the temple. When you hear the voice of the Lord, the proper response is, Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Let's you and I, if you're a Christ follower, let's you and I live high five. Let's seek to, to weed out the static in our lives so that the message that we declare to this fallen world would be crystal clear. Let's live high five because Jesus is worth it. Amen? Amen. If you haven't made that step of faith yet, We prayed for you this morning. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, 
then what you've heard today is not the way you gain his favor. First step is you need to accept him. Accept the work that he has on the cross for you. Accept the fact that he loves you. Welcome him in as your savior, but also make him Lord. And that means you set aside all filthiness and you set aside all wickedness. And you join us in living the rest of our days for him and for his glory. Need prayer for anything today? There'll be people up here to pray with you. Again, I apologize. I have to leave right away. But come up, pray. If you want to accept the Lord as your Savior, come up, pray. We'll have pastors up here. I love you guys. Let's stand. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus, that we don't earn our salvation that's been bought on the cross for us. Thank you, Lord, that we are forgiven. And I pray that with our lives, we would bring you glory. We would bring you praise. I pray that the message that is coming from us is one of how much we love you. It's a message of worship to the King of Kings, undaunted worship that we would even be willing to say, God, we'll become like David, un, more undignified than this for your glory. Lord, that we would become and embrace the idea of being peculiar people. Lord, that we would be quick to listen and not so quick to speak. And we would set aside wrath. Lord, that we would not just be hearers of the word, Lord, that we would be doers of the word. Filter our message, Lord, with your grace and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.